This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by Squarespace. Building a website has never been easy, but now with Squaresparse, we're here to make it easy. For 10% off your first purchase, go to www.squawksbach.net and see how Squidspids can help you make your content that much more desirable. Spud crud. Build it. Beautiful. Good day, everybody who's listening. All of you. The, the swarming masses of people who tune into each The Good Ship Brothership podcast. Or it's just three really big guys. Yeah. Huge, planet-sized men. I'm talking like... With their own gravitational pulls. Yeah. Like right now they've got like a corn dog and uh, probably a TV remote just kind of orbiting. I'm talking five guys who are each oh. like six, seven pounds oh. each. So this is the first episode that we're doing where we're going to bifurcate the episode. So we're not really sure how it's going to go. It might be a little bit awkward. Grant's been really worried about it and he's getting a little clammy. But I think it's going to go fine. My feet are clammy. It might take us a couple episodes until we figure out how to kind of smoothly cut these in half. But we did an Instagram poll that people spoke, and I agree with them. Um, It's probably better to do like two half-hour episodes and have one each week as opposed to one one one-hour episode that comes out every other week. So that's what we're going to try. It's really just, the I think, the consistency issue, and we want people to... To be comfortable listening to an episode and not feel like uh, it's something daunting or yeah. you know overly long. I, I don't think we're very long-winded. Our episodes come out to pretty bang on an hour every single time. And you and I and listen to, to albums that are like or uh, podcasts that are like two, two and a yeah. half, three hours. Yeah, it's nothing to me to listen to an hour-long podcast, but I understand it makes it much more digestible and a lot of a lot of times the one of the topics will pique your interest and not the other because we do cover like some pretty disparate mashups of topics. So here's something that I've just thought about though. That's actually a good thing and I don't know if you've thought about this. Maybe the most important part of our show is flipping the puppet. Yes. Now that's not really as much of a thing anymore because it's going to be two separate. But what I'm thinking is we continue to flip the puppet and that determines who leads off the topic. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, because I the like puppet that. can't die. Even if it wasn't that, it would have to well, be something else. Well, the puppet can't die because the puppet's yeah. a puppet. But um, uh, I have it here. Okay, wonderful. I'll place it here. So uh, on this this episode, we'll be reviewing Social Cues, the brand spanking new album from Cage the Elephant. And, of course, to continue the disparate theme sort of thing, we'll be reviewing Raging Bull. That's which two, is technically a, two separate episodes there, Chief, right? So, I mean, we only really have to intro Social Cues right now. Oh, that's true. I already... So okay, so I guess the, on the, this the, episode of the Good Ship Brothership, Brothership, we will be uh, reviewing Social, Social Cues by Cage the Elephant, and this is uh, their new album that they've put out. But first, um, let me try and let's see if I can find the theme music here. And while you do that, I'll give a slightly more elaborate uh, illumination on how we're splitting our episodes. We're going to be looking for your guys' feedback as we do this a couple times. Yes. We're thinking some of our topics are going to be every other episode, so things like the Gabber Jabber and maybe listener feedback. That's not a topic, that's a segment. Segment. Um, we'll actually be doing every second episode, just because that works for us, and I don't think that's too bad. I listen to lots of well, podcasts think, where they have your regular segments. I think also we could do, like, the Gabber Jabber is just a Netflix recommendation. I can easily scoop up two Netflix recommendations. You really feel that's necessary. In a sitting. 
I mean, why not? Yeah, we can. Theme music? We can do it. I do have the theme music, but you were Hit it. Uh, talking. Okay. Fine. We talk over it pretty much all the time. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Oh, that's not it at all. I think it is. it 10? Yeah. What an iconic sound. I know. It's if still this thing ever dies, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, I know. The uh, theme music that we play, everybody, is... Is uh, the result of a huge crank machine that's made out of wood and ivory. It I don't know it. I had somebody in to look at it, and he said he'd never seen anything quite like it. it's like a hurdy gurdy, but the size of a fridge. And we have a little pig, <laughs> pigmy who cranks it for us. Yeah. <laughs> so, his name is Charles. <laughs> so big shout out to Big Charles. He's yeah. actually the only living pygmy with ringlets. <laughs> yeah, he's a man of. He's a man of few words, but okay. Thanks, Chuck. Oh no. Chuck, no. <laughs> okay. You're aboard the Good Ship Brothership. It's the only arts podcast that covers film, music, gaming, literature, and hurdy gurdy uh, construction. Actually, uh, with that in mind, um, I was watching a video on YouTube a couple weeks ago about the hurdy gurdy. I don't even understand very, what it is. Very, very interesting. I'll explain yeah. it in a minute. I am uh, your brother Grant. I'm the hurdy gurdy master, and this is my brother Jason. Hello. He is master of no hurdy gurdies whatsoever. But the hurdy gurdy is essentially um, like I thought it was just a music box. Like I thought it was something you just cranked, and you know how a music box is with the big barrel, the silver mm-hmm. barrel with the little tabs on it, and it plucks the little mm-hmm. kind of like fingers, uh, like a comb kind of thing. But it turns out it's much more than that. It's it is crank operated, and it turns this wheel that rubs on the strings. So you get kind of a a lot of them have drone strings, so kind of like a bagpipe sound. And then there are keys that you press on that basically fret like a guitar the strings, and you can achieve different sounds with like how you crank it, the speed at which you crank it. You can achieve some vibrato by like waggling your finger on the key because it's changing the pressure that's being applied to the string underneath fascinating i had no idea that they were that they were so kind of like complexly made and there's all sorts of different like little keys and things that you can pull to change the sound very cool would our listenership increase or decrease if we became a podcast dedicated only to hurdy gurdies it would absolutely increase you think so that's something that definitely has a small but rapidly a, devoted fan you think base. it's a uh, underserviced area of the podcast world yeah. the world needs a hurdy gurdy podcast hurdy gurdy gear for today we're not that we're reviewing social cues which grant kind of started to allude to mm-hmm. it is the fifth studio album by cage the elephant to catch you guys up on grant and my thoughts um, on cage the elephant, on cage the elephant in yeah. general yeah we were introduced to them many years ago, and we've really loved them. Their first album, which was called Cage the Elephant, was this kind of rough-and-tumble garage rock. A little bit poppy, but not pop. But kind of very accessible, but no less fun album. It's a great album. How it, it, the thing that struck me was this real um, kind of frantic and frenetic energy, that is, especially their lead singer, Matt Schultz can just seemingly turn on with a flip of a switch this like really magnetic and attractive kind of energy that the whole band has it's a kind of album that just makes you want to like 
floor your car on the highway or break a plate or something. Mm -hmm. Following that, they released Thank You, Happy Birthday, which was an album with, I think it's safe to say, a lot of their best songs and some of their worst songs. A little bit split. Yeah. Their third album, Melophobia, for us was kind of like this perfect storm where we see a band that's way more refined but still has that kind of frenetic nature and Melophobia in our minds is like really a fantastic album. That's, I think, one of the best albums of the last 10 years. After that, their most recent album before Social Cues, they teamed up, unfortunately, with Dan Auerbach from the Black Keys. They lost their lead guitarist and guiding light, Lincoln Parrish, and they released this really watered-down, really crushingly disappointing album, which mm-hmm. is called Tell Me I'm Pretty. And and their their music has really varied in genre from their debut album which came out in let's say 2009 2009, uh, which has a lot of um punk inflected rock it's it does sound like radio rock yeah but in the best way possible in a a great way like it sounds like something it just makes me want to bust out a skateboard and yeah hit the town kind of thing which is not something i will ever do probably in my life and then coming to Thank You, Happy Birthday, just two years later, a huge shift away from that kind of blues, punk, rock-oriented sound more to thrashy. stuff that's really at parts like unbearably thrashy and messy and punky and like walls of feedback from guitar amplifiers. But in the midst of that, you had songs like uh, Aberdeen and Shake Me Down which have this really beautiful kind of clarity to them. And and uh, that album, their sophomore album, Thank You, Happy Birthday, feels very uneven to me. Very hot and cold. And very, yeah. it's. I think that were I more engendered toward that kind of hyper-thrashy sort of thing, like we reviewed Black Flag, yeah, which is very thrashy, but... It's fun, but I couldn't do it this, all the time. No, and this is different, like... Black Flag, sure, it's thrashy, but you've got the riffs, you've got the bass, you've got the drums. It was a bit more, like, subdued, like, grungy, whereas this is just freaking out. Yeah, they're freaking out. High levels of freaking out. But, like we said, some really good, even song like Rubber Ball or Flow is really good. Uh, I I even like Sabretooth Tiger, which is very thrashy, but it's also very fun. And then, um, yeah, like you said, Melophobia, they paired their track with Teen Town, 10 tracks. Something we'll and, be revisiting later. And uh, I think the only song that I'm kind of mellow, pun intended, on, on Melophobia, is probably Halo. I don't love that song, but you've, it opens up with Spiderhead, then Come a Little Closer, which actually, now that I say it, not huge on it either. But Telescope is very good. It's Just Forever is very good. Take It or Leave It's excellent. And then Black Widow, Hypocrite, Teeth, Cigarette, Cigarette Daydreams is a wildly good closer. And and Teeth is an incredibly good song. You've got like... Um, it's like refined freaking, freaking out. out. <laughs> freaking out fuzz guitar. And then at a certain point, the song just slows to this sluggish kind of pace. And like trumpets are coming in and out. And it's, yeah, it's very... And Melophobia to me was one of the first times I heard an album and went, wow, this sounds cohesive. It sounds like... It sounds like something. A texture, a certain indefinable texture has really been achieved throughout this entire track list. Also super great album art. Yeah. And then as we said, their lead guitarist, Lincoln Parrish, left them. 
they released um, one of the most watered down albums of like car commercial rock I've ever heard. In I Tell need Me to, I'm pretty. I've probably only listened to that album three times. I want to go back and listen to it because I haven't heard it for a long time, but it's going to be sad. I cannot believe that it came out in 2015. Yeah. It feels like it came out last year. Yeah, 100%. Or two years ago. Shout out to them, if nothing, if for nothing else, than uh, releasing an, on average an album every two years for a decade. That's good. I mean, you know, whatever. So uh, there's very little on this album on Wikipedia. It was just uh, released uh, about a week and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, Maybe men- two weeks by the time you're hearing this. Okay, I'm trying to speak okay. here, Jason. That's well, very rude of that's you. That's a bit too much to ask. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, okay, many <laughs> many of the songs on on social cues, such as Goodbye, Ready to Let Go, and Love's the Only Way, were based on the divorce that Matt Schultz went through with his now ex-wife, Juliet Bukes, I believe I pronounce it. Social cues received generally positive reviews upon its release. At Metacritic, which assigns a normalized rating out, 75 of... That doesn't make any sense. Right. Which assigns a normalized rating, 74 out of 100 reviews oh, yeah. from mainstream publications indicating generally favorable reviews. Social Cues has an average rating of 6.5 on any decent music and 65, 68 sorry, on Album of the Year, which is a service, I believe. I don't think it was the 68th best album no. the year it was put out. So now, we will flip the puppet, if I can find the recording software to determine who goes first uh do you feel more face down not a lot of people left around today i feel face up okay good because i feel pretty face so i will start if it's face up okay okay it is indeed face all up. right well i will begin let me pull up my notes here i should have been more prepared you know notes, notes you can notes. just cut this out right notes are like pants it's you embarrassing don't... if you don't pull them up I thought you were going to say notes are like pants. You don't need them until you need them, and then you really wish you had some in your trunk. <laughs> That's, yeah. Okay. okay. So, after the crushing disappointment that we spoke of earlier, which was tell me I'm pretty, I was once also, again... Also, can I just quickly interrupt? I'm sorry. Oh. I just adjusted the microphone stand. I feel like it might have been really okay. loud. So, if it was, and sorry. we just cut out for a second, that's my fault. I'm sorry. But the mic stand had significant... Uh, droopage, droopage, and we can't have that on this show. There's no droopage. We're working on a pill for that. Yeah. So after the crushing disappointment of their last album, Tell Me I'm Pretty, I was once again in the position of hoping for the best but expecting the worst, which is something that's happened um, with a couple albums we've reviewed recently, with Lord's album and with, I don't even remember what else. And what we ended up getting was something that was kind of firmly in the middle I don't think it's a bad album, but it felt kind of purposeless. It felt a little bit underwhelming, and it was, like, disappointingly safe. The opening track, I think, is actually pretty strong. You listen to it, and you're like, all right, you know, this could be on to something if this is, like, a medium track for this album. But then it's really weird. It's something you don't see a lot with albums. I feel like the track quality actually falls off a lot until like track six and at that point uh track six we get to ready to let go which i think is actually a pretty good album and then we start to hear good song yes i songs albums podcasts i get that mixed up all the time so by the time we get to ready to let go i feel like we finally get some of that cage the elephant like swagger kind of poking its head 
um, into our eardrums. And that's something that's sorely lacking from the first half of the album, even from the opening track. It's like somebody told them, like, tone it down, guys. Like, we're kind of tired of the whole pitchy thing, which I'm not. I'm not over it. By the time we get to track seven, we get to House of Glass. I think that's the easy pinnacle of the album. And I think when we get to your review, you may agree with that. House of Glass is a great song. It's got movement. It's got rhythm. It's got that Cage the Elephant soul that 75% of the album is missing. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you really get down to it, the soul is mostly mostly lost because Lincoln Parish left. I said to you, uh, we were doing some dishes and listening to this album a few hours ago. Lincoln Parish, I should just butt in and say, they're former lead guitarist right. and producer. Yeah, thank you. Um, I said to Grant when we were listening to this a few hours ago, like, just listen for the guitar. Just try and find guitar in this album. And it's there in bits and pieces, but what's there is anemic and unimpressive, and there's not enough of it. And the songs that I do like tend to have more guitar in this album, but by and large, we miss, like, that chunky sound that you get with Old Cage the Elephant, where it has, like, some guts and it has some some punch. Just and, think of the intro into Aberdeen. Yeah, where you, you get that, that thick riff. It's that, all, like, soupy. It's mm-hmm. almost too much so. And that's I think that's the biggest shame of this album. I don't think it would have been great if you had added Lincoln Parrish's guitar. I think there are lots of other issues outside of that. But that's my single biggest gripe with the album. Another pretty major gripe, though, is track four is Beck shows up for night running. <laughs> And it's this completely weird diversion, even from the rest of the album's flow. It's a mediocre song. The The vocals are, like, super sanitized and, and like, emotionless sounding. And I just don't... You said earlier, it's like Beck just went, Hey, guys, want to do a song? And they were like, I guess. We'll just put it right here. Yeah. But there's, there's no point for it. It's just... Uh, it just completely loses me there. And that's kind of where the album bottoms out, is tracks 2, 3, 4, and 5. I just feel like skip, 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 skip. And that gets to the most common complaint I level against most of the albums we review. It's too bloated. The song's 13 tracks long, it's like 45 minutes. And I get that that's not super long, but I just think it's hard to make the argument that this album would not be improved by cutting 3 to 5 tracks kind of thing. And you could say that of most albums, but this this album especially has at least, I would say, three songs that just completely don't inspire me. And even if I keep this album on my phone, I'll probably just remove those tracks because why would I listen to them if I don't have to review? Speaking uh, for me personally as somebody who has actually released an album that has 13 tracks on it, every every single person in my band agrees that we should have cut two of them for sure. And we all agree on which two to cut. So it's not as though you release, you know, I mean, maybe there are some great bands out there who release, you know, monster albums and every track is golden on it and all that sort of thing. But even even we who, you know, cherish all these songs and are proud of each and every one of them, we agree and and uh, and we'll flag up, we'll be the first ones to say yeah, this album that we made, it was too long. We should have trimmed the fat more. So if you, unless you've got something you really urgently need to say with 13 tracks, say it with 10. 
So at the end of the day, there are some songs on here. So let's see here. Broken Boy, which is the opener. I think that's a good song. House of Glass, I think is great. That could have been on Melophobia. I think that's a wonderful Cage the Elephant song. Also, I should say Black Madonna, which is track three. It's okay. Like, I don't hate it, but I just feel like I should flag that up. It's not like the album's completely crappy from tracks two to five. That song's decent. Mm. But by and large, these glimmering moments where you go, oh yeah, I remember when Cage the Elephant was like this for a whole album. Those moments for me got overshadowed by all these other songs that were so, had this gaping hole of no guitar, this gaping hole of no no emotion, no zest, like that earlier we said that their albums, they're like freaking out. They never freak out on this album at all. And Melophobia was more refined. It was closer to this, but there was still like, there was still like freak out moments just they had better just, equipment just and a, stuff. Just a smattering of yeah, zeal. It was perfect. And where did that go? And why did they think it was better this way? You know, it's something that really kind of bugs me. So that coupled with weak writing, he has some moments of decent writing on this album, but there's a lot of stuff like a song like Night Running. It's just, what does this even mean? It's just sounds like filler writing. Like, oh, I we came up with this song and now I have to figure out something to sing because I'm not just going to do an instrumental. What it sounds, what a lot of these lyrics sound like to me uh, is, again, <laughs> I really don't mean to keep bringing my you know, music writing perspective into it. But a lot of the times the way people will write songs, myself included, is you come up with the music, the chords, the riff, whatever, and you just sing the first thing that pops into your head. And generally speaking, in my case, it's trash. And then sometimes you go, oh, okay, this phrase could kind of sound like this phrase. And you totally flip it, you know, or you scrap it and you build something from the bones that you that you kind of excavated with these really rudimentary lyrics. Here, it seems like there was no effort to move past the first thing that popped into their heads. Yeah. And and that, coupled with the fact that I think overall the album sounds too samey, it's like Melophobia, as you said, was this perfect balance where it's it was really cohesive, but there was still separation between the tracks. Probably half these tracks blend together for me. And granted, I've only heard it probably five times I've listened to the album and tracks tend to separate a bit more when you get more familiar with the album but you take a great album like Earth Tones by Bahamas you listen to that that album twice and you can probably recall eight separate tracks already it's incredible and with an album like this they just blend together because they're kind of mushy and doughy and flavorless and I feel like I'm being really hard on this album because like a father wants his son to be good and then his son's mediocre and you hate your son and then you say get out of my house son i don't want to ever see you again speaking of hitting it's close like, to home yeah we're in our we, parents basement we right but, now you know, we're yeah. lit- literally at home yeah, right yeah my point is it's not a bad album if you enjoy cage the elephant if you enjoy rock i think it's worth it to check it out but for me this is like a five out of ten album and it makes me think that Cage the Elephant is still capable of making a good album, but on the other side of that coin, it makes me think that they probably won't. Hmm. Okay, that's it. Well, I mean, we before we we uh, started recording, we were watching an Anthony Fantano review of this album, which he gave a five out of ten, and 
he was he said he was quite underwhelmed by it, et cetera, et cetera. And the comments were just full, full. The the general consensus, I'd say nine out of ten comments regarding the album that weren't just like tired Anthony Fantano fan base memes. Uh, the comments were full of people going, I can't believe you scored this solo. This album is great. One of my favorites of the year so far. 10 out of 10. Uh, you know, I respectfully disagree and all that sort of thing. And I was quite surprised to hear that. Uh, the album begins innocently enough with Broken Boy. It's kind of a classic Cage the yeah. Elephant vibe. It's safe, you know? but good. It's, yeah, it is hurried and it is strung through with that kind of jangling rhythm guitar that we come to kind of expect from Cage the Elephant song. And it's got great drumming. Yes. Really great drum. I meant to mention that the bass and the drums on this album are really good and they do a they do as best they can at picking up slack for the guitar, but they can only do so much. Yeah. But I do want to throw out there that bass and drums I think are both well executed actually. Yeah, yeah but so so my, my impression though of this first song of the opener of Broken Boy was that it sounded like a band who was excited. Like a band who was excited to be making music, like a band who, you know, had kind of felt that lightning in a bottle sensation and I'll the the good impression did carry over for me into the follow-up song the title track uh, social cues which fit in with the album's flow very nicely for me I think it has kind of a nice it's more subdued a bit more of a laid-back vibe to it uh, but that's where my troubles started to kind of begin with the album the guitar is squashed it's rolled it's rolled out by the uh the monolith that is the bass guitar and their bassist daniel Tichter is really good you know we we've heard his bass lines even on something like drones in the valley from yeah. the first album he's got just a real knack for being a great he's a great bass player he's i learned a, a lot of caves the elephant songs back when i played bass all the time because they're just funky and they're fun and they got a groove mm-hmm. and drones in the valley is a blast to like rip that yeah it's awesome uh, and then after that, uh, we've got Black Madonna, which made basically no impression on me. And then we run up against, <laughs> pun intended, uh, Night Running. Uh, and this song, the one that you were talking about, features Beth, Beth, Beck, not Beth, but, you know, it's been a long day. It's 2019. Features right? Beck, and it just stuck out like a sore, festering it's so weird, man. thumb to it's me. It's like, why it, don't you stop and just listen to this for... What is it? For three minutes and 28 seconds. If Hang they, on. Let me show you something. If they had stopped and listened to it for three mi- minutes, 28 seconds, they probably would have realized that what they had made was a Limp 21 Pilots tribute in the middle of an album that's doing its best to convince you that it's real rock and roll, like edgy, real rock and roll for the, you know, Forever 21 crowd kind of thing. It just, it just, I really hate that song. And it's not that I hate the song as a song. I hate it in the context of this album. Does it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's got that kind of the very Twenty One Pilots kind of new reggae hop, you know. And I hate this term, but it's like gentrified hip hop kind of thing uh, that just has no fangs. It has no claws. It has no enthusiasm from the people who appear to be playing the music. And then moving on from there to the song uh, Skin and Bones, it is some of the most uninteresting, underwhelming, worst writing Matt Schultz has ever had to sign his name to. I'm telling you, it's weird how much this album drops off in the first half. But I've I've heard a lot of people say they really like that song. 
but it is just the writing is so bad. the writing is so boring and so you know it's if you can't think of anything you know the, the old saying if you can't think of anything good to say don't say anything at all if you can't it, in art if you can't think of anything original to say don't say anything at all and that applies like in a screamingly loud sense to this song or if you're gonna be derivative at least be derivative of something good yeah uh ready to let go which is the next track begins with this promisingly slinky and kind of smoky vibe but it throws it all away for this uh big bubblegum chorus that they insist upon and again i've heard uh that that's one of the common standout tracks on this album and i think it's pretty good I, i it's okay but the um the uh the chorus is just so bland and and banal when you compare it with like their other stuff like i don't know aberdeen i know i keep coming back to aberdeen but it is probably my favorite cagey elephant song or uh, backstabbing betty yeah is like the height of cagey elephant like grunge energy like emotion yep uh the next track house of glass is for me and i have not listened to this album that much i've probably gotten in three listens or so uh, it, it is for sure the album's bright spot. It's conspicuously good. Yeah, where it is on this album, and it almost made me think. You know, is this is this uh, the product? Is this an artifact of years past? Did they find some yeah. demo somewhere and like dust it off? Because where did they get the agency to to write and play these guitar parts? Like. The guitar the tone still up, sucks. The guitar comes up about forty percent in volume on this song, at the very least. And and you're right. There's still this tone. It's guitarist uh, Nick Bach Bach Rath, who I think is to blame for this like fizzy uh, carbonated beverage style of guitar playing where you roll off all the bass and all you're left with is a hive of bees Can I talk to that you for a second? swing around your head. Nick, you're probably a cool dude and I love you, man, but your tone is straight butt. <laughs> I, I meant than... to mention that more in my album, but <laughs> don't say that. I, I know, I just censored myself. <laughs> Seriously, though, it's like, it's inexcusable it's not like the worst tone i've ever heard but it's so anemic it's like who brought this guy from the church band with his metal zone yeah with the the mids rolled completely yes it is and i mean you know i i really i truly do hesitate to speak ill or like heavily critique a professional musician because you know i'm not a professional musician I kind of tried my best for a couple of years and that didn't happen. So maybe he's still got something I don't, but I'll say it. He just does not strike me as a good guitar player no. in any way at any point on this album. Unless there's something I really missed. There is a pretty tasty solo. I think it is in House of Glass with some pretty nice arpeggio work. I'm not sure if that's him, but if that is the case, then you know that's that's some decent stuff. But oh, 10 seconds out of a 45-minute no, album. There's no personality to his guitar playing. Uh, he doesn't even do that kind of the edge in U2 thing where he like holds the band up and supports with his guitar playing. His greatest asset seems to be um, the disappearing act where he oh. just kind of like... <laughs> screws off and drinks a paps blue ribbon behind his Marshall stack while the rest of the band keeps going keeps jamming so, for 10 minutes before they need him again to finish to round off this album uh 
Love's the Only Way, uh, which is the next song, is uh, a perfectly functional, totally forgettable ballad, and it feels like a gratuity to me. And I have... The the last track is the next one I'll speak about, and I'm going to skip over four tracks because... That's I what you should have, do when you're listening I to the album. I have nothing to say about The War Is Over, Dance, Dance, What I'm Becoming, or Tokyo Smoke. Uh, the last track I've got kind of mixed feelings on. It's very... um very the national the slow um kind of plodding piano and heartfelt kind of vocals and and uh knowing knowing uh the story behind it the divorce that matt schultz went through i do think adds some emotional resonance to this song and does make it a little heartbreaking for me in a couple ways uh just you know imagining those kind of emotions and the kind of sorrow that comes with them. So I think that it is, uh, I think that that is a good song. I think that goodbye is a good song, but again, it doesn't really fit musically with, with this album. And certainly this album is like just, it shouldn't even be considered in the running with Melophobia. And I do think, that their first album was a little perfunctory, but it had so much spunk and spirit and spit and snot in it that it really justified its existence. And then their second album was at least interesting and had some real crown jewels of indie rock or alt rock or whatever yeah. you want to call them. And uh, Melophobia was a real kind of congealing and crystallization of everything that had come before it. And then they've just kind of like taken the plunge since then. And I do hesitate to just blame the departure of their guitarist, but I mean, every band is a guiding light, and sometimes that guiding light, shockingly, isn't the lead singer. You know? There you go. <laughs> so, that those are our thoughts on Social Cues, the album by Cage the Elephant. If you differed in opinion or had the exact same opinion and you want to affirm us and make us feel smart and, and cool, uh, please shoot us a message on our Facebook page. Uh, we've had uh, one person write in who's Harrison. Thanks, Harrison's, Harrison. Harrison's a good guy, and I like chatting with him about stuff. And uh, and you can also reach us at email at uh, thegoodshipbrothership at gmail.com, or you can drop us a message on Instagram. We are at thegoodshipbrothership. And we would appreciate to hear from you, and we'll see you on the flip side when we review Raging Bull next, the Martin Scorsese film. Bye for now. Peace out. See you in a week, I guess. Unless, oh, we start with a gabber jabber for the next one. I think. I Sounds think good. I think yeah. so. Okay. Honestly, I don't think it's a bad idea.